0: Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink Remembering My Lagos Childhood I'm deviating slightly from my flying career in this episode and giving you a glimpse into my Lagos childhood In many ways, this snippet of my young life may give you an insight into me as a person and what shaped me in my later years As you know if you've listened to the previous episodes my childhood was extremely hard going at times But even so, I had some fun adventures along the way. Everyone's experiences are different. And that is what makes us, us. I remember sitting outside the house on the wall next to our low double gate, which was my favourite place as a young child. I could see in all directions. Straight ahead was Iditar Street. Running parallel to the house was our street, yeduron. Just opposite the middle of the wall was a big patch of gravel and stone mix. That was where I'd skidded my red chopper bike to a halt and come off it in the most extraordinary fashion directly over the handlebars and then face first into the gravel mix. I remember having the briefest of delayed reactions and thinking more about who had seen me fly over the bars than what I had just done to myself. I totally ruined my eight-year-old street cred. Just as that thought departed, I saw the bright splash of red become a torrent flowing from my cut open lip. My mother had also somehow appeared in my vision, shouting at me to stay where I was as she rushed to my aid. The security guards had now started to run towards me as I became covered in blood. Mohammed was first, and he gently got me to my feet as the tears started. My face began to hurt, and so did my knees, my hands and my elbows. It would be a while before I had the courage to get back on my bike. As a youngster growing up in Lagos, I had a lot to contend with. It was the mid to late 60s and Nigeria's independence had come in 1960, two years before I was born. By 1965, I had started my life in Lagos. We had a big house on a new estate. My father had built it and my mother had named it Mandalay. I think it was after a film she'd seen some years previously. It had been the first house on the estate. And some years later, another house named Mandalay View would be built up the road within eyesight. As a result, we lived in the middle of the bush. It would be a few years before that area was well developed. Grass snakes were the order of the day, I seem to remember. Every morning as we came downstairs, they would slither through the open brickwork in the walls and lay on the new concrete driveway. There were palm trees in the adjoining lot and once a week the palm wine tapper would appear with his woven climbing support. Shimmy up the tree to retrieve his previously placed gourds attached to cut grooves in the bark where the palm wine would slowly flow. These had to be replaced and decanted into glass bottles. I think they were formerly used for Aid. My bedroom looked out onto this lot and I would spend hours watching the tapper move from tree to tree collecting the precious liquid. Occasionally, I would imagine a lion or a tiger peering at me from the bush. It was just imagination, in spite of the stories I would later tell in boarding school about my mud hut lodgings and having a tiger for a playmate. My friends were a varied mix of haves and have-nots, and I didn't make choices based on whether their parents had money or whether they were the houseboys' children living in the boys' quarters. They were fun to be with, to share things with, and sit making imaginary mud cakes in my mother's front garden. The mud was of the finest quality, even though I somehow managed to pick up a parasite which burrowed into my right thumb in a matter of days. I still wasn't deterred. I had woken up one morning with a worm-shaped line running the length of my thumb, and it was so itchy. I showed it to my mother, who in turn sent me to my father's surgery, located at the back of the house. He looked at it and asked what I'd been doing. I was playing in the soil, I said, as if he should already have known. The parasitic worm had to be cut out under local anaesthetic, and it was gross, I cried fiercely as it was extracted from my deadened thumb, but the resulting stitches and bandaging made for an exciting graphic story for all the friends. It was an even better story than the cut lip with gravel in it and the broken arm from playing football on a concrete drive with, as my mother put it, those rough kids. In those early, exciting, busy days in the 60s, downtown Lagos resembled a heaving metropolis, complete with department stores, banks, offices, petrol stations and open markets. Kingsway, Leventis and UTC were the department stores of the day. I would spend hours with my adopted auntie, who was the manager of Kingsway stores. It would mean that I could sit at the manager's desk and eat one of the freshly prepared meat pies that I loved so much, whilst my mother shopped for groceries. At Christmas, I would be first to visit Santa on the tiny kids train that wound itself round at least half of the third floor, now disguised as Santa's grotto. There were also the donkey rides at Leventis, outside with freshly laid sand in an arena where you've got to spend at least half an hour with them. I remember one Christmas waiting outside in the car for my mum, who had gone in to choose a present for me, but couldn't decide between a doll's house and a train set. Don't worry, I soon put her right. Years later, I would wander into town with her to the open market to pick up various electrical goodies, such as my first cassette player with radio. The local markets were always teeming with people, women with heavily laden trays bearing various wares, ground nuts ready to eat household items, all inhabiting every available space to do business. I had saved up for this and I wanted the very latest cassette player. I would also pick up some country cassettes. We had one record shop in close proximity to the market and that was where I would pick up my first single Kung-fu fighting, appropriately dressed in my green, red, blue and yellow flared golfing trousers, matched in magnificence only by my six-inch suede, multicoloured platforms. I was rocking the look in a way only I could. By 1976, I was experiencing a freedom I had never before known and taking full advantage of it. My father had died in July the year before in a car accident and I was adjusting to a lot of things. The fact that I would soon go to boarding school in the UK was one. Secondary school up until that point had been Holy Child College, a Catholic school in the heart of the city. And before that, it had been a succession of primary schools, St Saviour's, a British High Commission school, which I enjoyed for the most part. My eldest brother used to drive me to school, and I remember being introduced to Simon and Garfunkel on repeat over and over, and over again. The only thing I struggled with in school at that time was being very talkative and not understanding maths too well. But in the end, my father thought I was too pampered and decided to send me to anti Ayo's primary school, which was a world away from my comfort zone. Not because I was now the odd one out as a mixed race kid, but because my circumstances were much better than that of my fellow students. School was harsh, and punishments even harsher. Flogging was the order of the day, and although I received a fair amount of it at home, this was public flogging in front of your friends, just because they could. I was very unhappy and I hated every moment of it. Happier times were spent at Bar Beach, a favourite destination at the weekend for families. Deck chairs and umbrellas lined the sand for a fee, and drinks and food sellers were abundant. There was also a dark side to this area. If you're feeling particularly sensitive today, Lucy says you might want to turn the volume down at this part as my story takes a slightly bizarre and sinister turn. Lagos and other cities had been beset by armed robbery on a grand scale for years. The deterrent was execution by firing squad if found guilty and these were also held at the same beach. It was designed to discourage armed robbery but it didn't really work. I witnessed on television and in the local newspapers numerous events of this kind as a child. The streets were dangerous too. Perceived local pickpocketing and other transgressions could sometimes be met with instant justice in the heat of the moment. I appreciate this must sound incredibly barbaric to those who haven't grown up in similar settings, but it was my normal. And in fact, my mum laughingly recalled our fun afternoons at Bar Beach well into her old age. When I look back on my childhood years from three to 12, I see a rich tapestry of colour in spite of associated trauma. Both the varied colourful experiences with friends, learning and shared experiences, which made me accepting of all types of people, rich or poor, the brutal and cruel side of life that was part of my local environment, came together to make me the person I am today. The long-term friends that I attended school with, and then, many years later, in the midst of adulthood, met again. Here's a shout-out to my childhood friend, Abigail, one of the strongest, kindest and most loyal friends one could have. These memories will always remain as some of my strongest links with my true cultural heritage, which makes me, me. Thank you for listening. Your comments and reviews are very much appreciated. I hope you enjoy the different music as well. Thank you, Lucy Ashby, for editing this episode. In the next episode, I will plan to return to Nigeria from the US, having been offered a co-pilot position with a new airline. And I retreat to London in the aftermath of disappointment to get some much needed life experience. Thank you and goodbye.